Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Alrighty, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Ecclesiastes again. We're going to look at that, and then Luke, and we're looking at John, and we're just going to kind of look at a lot of different things. I want to talk about what gives meaning to life again today. I talked a little bit about that last week, and uh, evidently, it was pretty effective. Everybody got it, and so they didn't come back today, and that's okay, I guess. Uh, either that or, you know, uh, you know, they heard me once, that was enough. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, so we've been looking at that question, what makes your life meaningful? What is it that really makes you happy? And, and maybe when you're asked that question of what makes your life meaningful or what gives meaning to your life or what makes you happy, your answer is my wife or my husband, you know, spouse. Or maybe it's a child, your children. Around here, family's pretty important and people make a big deal about family, so maybe that's what they would say. Or maybe you have something that gives your life meaning, something, not someone, but something that gives your life meaning, like a new car, or maybe a bigger house, or a vacation that you've done, or, or maybe a puppy. Maybe somebody you know, has meaningful puppies. I mean, you know, that happens. The question we have to ask is this, though, will any of those things that we're talking about last forever? Will they last forever? Or will they not last forever? The reason we have to ask that question is, is if they don't last forever, then one day the person will die or move away. One day the spouse will die or leave or something will happen. One day the children will leave and the house will be empty. One day the car that you're so proud of right now will be old and tired looking. One day the vacation you took that was so incredible will be forgotten and one day the puppy will pee on your rug and the meaning of your life and your happiness will then be in jeopardy and if things don't last forever and if you've built your life on these things that don't last then when they break or when you get old and die or die your life becomes meaningless that what you've done doesn't matter anymore it's all just been as solomon said you know just dust or or just mist it's just meaningless you see it all the time when people retire and when uh, the kids leave home and move out of the house people go what do i do with my life now it doesn't have any meaning i've talked to a lot of folks like that so if these things don't give real lasting meaning to your life we will be left looking for other things that will finally give us meaningful life things that will make us happy and I really do believe a life without meaning leads to unhappiness. A life, to, a life that has no meaning to it, a life that is meaningless leads to unhappiness and death. So the question I want to ask is this, what or who is it that is giving your life meaning today? What, what's really giving meaning to your existence? Who or what is it that makes you happy? Along with that question, I want to ask you, will the things you believe in and hold tightly to that give meaning to your life, will they last forever as I've been talking about? Will they last forever? And these are really the questions and the struggles that King Solomon wrestled with all those thousands and thousands of years ago in Ecclesiastes. He really was right when he said there's nothing really new 
under the sun. Life just continues to repeat many of the same things. I want to read again from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. I read it last week, but I just want to read it to get us started today. And it goes like this, starting in verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises, and the wind blows to the south and turns to the north, and round and round it goes, ever ever returning on its course, and all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again, and all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. And and there is a repeating cycle to life, a circle, if you will, uh, going around and around, kind of like a merry-go-round that leads us, especially as we grow older to question why why are we doing what we do why do we give our attention to what we give it to what's the point of this life that we're living why do we continue to do the things that we do king solomon eloquently points out this meaningless existence he said it happens again and again and no one even remembers in fact he pointed out the fact that even young people who are young right now and will do great things will finally reach a point where no one will remember them either so the king tries to provide meaning to life using everything at his disposal things and building things and creating things and people and money and even sexual pleasure and he comes and he finally comes to a conclusion that all of man's efforts to add meaning to life are pointless there's nothing and the reason they're pointless and meaningless is it goes back again because they never last eventually It gets taken away. You ever feel like that? You ever sense that in your own life? That the things you're doing, they just, they won't stay done. And there comes a time they get taken away. The more you get the project, you know more than get the project finished and it has to be updated. Uh, you, You get the house cleaned and someone walks in with dirty feet. Amen, ladies, right? Yeah, most of you women that clean, men who clean too. Billy, who cleans here, he understands that. You grow a great vineyard and you know you got everything there and you harvest the grapes and you make the best of wines and you look and it's time to prune it again and the growing starts and the harvest starts again and it goes around and around. And everything we have done will eventually be taken from us in death and left for someone who's not worked for it like we have. And that's hard. So Solomon asked the question, for who knows what is good for a man in life? Well, the conclusion I drew last week in the message was that only a relationship with the Creator can provide real meaning to this life because that's the only thing and the only relationship that will last into and through eternity. It's the only thing that's going to be there for you. And I believe that is absolutely true. However, I believe that the relationship with the Creator God is to be lived out as Jesus shows us in the gospel. And I want to talk about that this morning. 
this relationship with this creator. We can talk and say, well, that's what you need, but we don't often describe it like maybe we should. So I believe that the relationship with the creator God is to be lived out as Jesus shows us how to live it out in the gospels. In fact, I want to propose there's no meaning in life, there's no meaning even in a relationship with God if it is lived unexpressed. In other words, if we don't do something about that relationship, if we don't do something with that relationship, then what's the point of even having a relationship with God? I got to tell you the truth. In my days of pastoring and sitting in the church, I've seen a lot of people who claim a relationship with God, but it never changes their life. It never changes anything they ever do. And I wonder, what's the point? Is it just to go to heaven? Because I don't think that's a good enough point. I mean, heaven's great. But now, what about now? See, I think that we need to find meaning in life, and it is in God, but it needs to make a difference in our lives now. Over in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, there's a story there of the expert in the law. You can turn there if you want to, or you can just let me tell you the story. I'm not going to read it right now, but it's up there for you so you can read along and see if I do it right. He was an expert, an expert in the law, and he spent his time, and it doesn't say this, but we know he did, he spent his time parsing, because that's what lawyers do, and measuring out the letter of the law. He was trying to make sure that he had every letter of the law down. He, he wanted to know exactly what each word meant. That's what he did. And he did this um, so that he could measure out who was keeping the law and who wasn't keeping the law. Who was doing what they were supposed to be doing and who was not doing what they were supposed to be doing. And he came to Jesus to test him one day. And I think he's intent on trying to trip Jesus up and to uh, and so he wanted to talk to him about his keeping of the law. So he asked Jesus this question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's quite possible he didn't even believe in eternal life and he was just using this as an attempt to try to trip up Jesus, to try to get Jesus to say some things where he could point to him and say, see, here's what the law really says. You're making a mess out of it and, and move on from there. Now, remember, Jesus taught as one with authority, and this man wanted to dispute this authority as well. And I think the questions had been carefully chosen. He and others probably had sat down and chose these questions carefully and had decided, now, now's the time. Go, go speak with him. Let's, let's see what he says. He already knew what Jesus would say on part of it, and he was ready to bring the hammer down and point out why Jesus was way off track. He asked the question, and Jesus answered by asking what the law said the question was how what do i have to do to inherit eternal life and jesus answered what does the law say and the young man the, the lawyer answered back love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all your mind love your neighbors yourself in fact it really means there love your neighbor as if he or she were you that's kind of a different feel to it, doesn't it? That just love her as yourself. It's like we're connected and I love you like you are me and, and we're part of each other. And that's what he was saying. And Jesus said, you answered correctly. So far, so good. Go do this. Go live it out. 
But the lawyer still is not done. He wants to ask the next part to get Jesus to parse, to define what the word neighbor meant. And this is where he was going to trip him up. So he asked Jesus a question. Who is my neighbor? And I can see the crowd now turning on Jesus and turning to Jesus. And, and they're looking at him. Okay, answer the question. That's a question that we've been asking for a long time. Who really is our neighbor? Is my neighbor just the people next door who live right here? Or do I have to go down three doors and they're still my neighbor? After that, I'm not obligated. But Jesus didn't try to define neighbor that way. He just did what Jesus does best. And he told him a story. It was a story that was relevant and a story that would penetrate into the depths of what this discussion was really about. And Jesus tells the story that we know as the Good Samaritan story. And again, you know that story. And I'm just going to refresh your mind a little bit on it. And there's a man who was traveling. And if you look at a map, You'll notice that, that uh, this man is traveling. Jerusalem is, is high, and he's going down to, through Samaria down. On his way down uh, through there, he goes through Samaria, and he's on his way down. And as he's, as he's traveling along, <coughs> excuse me, as he's traveling along, he is attacked by robbers. He's beaten, and he's robbed of everything he has, and he's left there wounded, dying on the side of the road. As luck would have it, as he's laying there dying, a priest, someone from Jerusalem, someone who is versed in religion, walks along, sees him lying there and makes a jaunt around him, according to Jesus, and does not go to him, but leaves him lying there. Then another person, a Levi, who is also a part of the priestly group, sees him there, and he too makes a jaunt out around this man who is lying there. And the implication in this story, although it never really says it, is this man's a Jew as well, and he's laying there dying, and his fellow Jews, his fellow brothers, his fellow religious brothers walk around him and leave him there to die. And the third man walks along, and this man is a Samaritan. The Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were people that had intermixed and were half-breed Jews, basically. And so they were considered unclean and, and not worthy. And so they were despised by Jewish people. And this Samaritan came along, and he looked down, and he saw the man lying there dying. And, and he went to him, and he had compassion on him. And he bandaged up his wounds, and he picked him up, and he laid him on his own donkey, and he got him to the nearest place of, of refuge, an inn, and he went in and asked the innkeeper to let him stay there, and he said, I will pay for everything, and here's some money, and he gives it to him, and he says, if it needs more, just let me know when I come back by, and I'll take care of every need that he has. And so Jesus asked the question, which one of these three was his neighbor? And this story, it's just not what this lawyer friend wants to hear at all. Not only did Jesus include all the Jewish people in that and say, you are obligated to care for this man, even though you don't even know him. And that, that was a little hard for him. But now he's saying not only to him, but you've got to include all the Samaritans in your life as well. The rich, the poor, they're your neighbors. Those you don't know, they're your neighbors. Samaritans, they're your neighbors. So clearly what Jesus was saying here was that neighbor really literally means anyone whom you meet is your neighbor. They're all your neighbors. That's, that's hard. And what he was doing, he was inviting all people everywhere into the circle of neighbor. And he was 
doing something important here. He was obligating you and me to love all people of every race, even people who are difficult to love. Uh, this is why I said this is the most important sermon I preach, maybe ever, because this is so hard. And i got to be honest with you right now, there's some people in the news that I don't love that much. And there's some people in my life that I'm struggling with right now. And so this isn't just something I'm telling you about, this is something I'm wrestling with. Jesus was saying if there's a human being who needs help, help them. If there is a person who needs encouragement, encourage them. One time, my brother-in-law Dan and I took a trip on a motorcycle uh, to Tennessee, and everything was going well. We spent the night in Memphis, Tennessee, and we got up the next morning, and we were heading out, and I was buzzing along, and there were three of us together that day, and we were riding along, and I looked over in the mirror, and my brother-in-law's disappeared. He's nowhere to be seen, and I'm like, what in the world? I hope nothing happened, so I it was a four-lane road, so I spun around real quick, and I rode back to see what had happened, and I found him sitting on the side of the road, and his bike was dead, and he, it would crank, but it would not start, and so I sat down there with him, and I stopped, and we were talking about what to do, and a guy buzzes by on a motorcycle, and he slops, and he pulls over to the side real quick, and comes back, hey, you guys need some help, and we said, yeah, we're stuck out here. We don't know what to do. He goes, hey, I got a trailer. I'll be right back. This guy I didn't even meet before. Never, never knew him. He takes off and he goes. And this is, by the way, a Saturday afternoon now. It's getting later and later. And things are closing up. And we're stuck in Memphis right now. And, and he goes down and he gets his trailer, comes by. And we put the bike on the trailer and he hauls us to the nearest power sports place that's getting ready to close. We go in and we tell the guy what's going on. This is a guy who could have closed the door and said, well, you know, we get to you on Monday. But instead he says, okay. And he asked one of his mechanics to stay, and they start working on a bike they determine it's a fuel pump. Now, he doesn't have one in stock, and it's a new bike. It's a warranty job. So he has a bike just like it sitting there. So he goes and gets that bike, and he takes the fuel pump out of the new bike, and he puts it in our bike so that we can get going. You know what? These guys acted as neighbors to us. They were people that we did not know. They owed us nothing. They could have told us, no, we don't need to help you. We could have still be stuck in Memphis which is kind of not a good idea, I heard, but anyway. I wonder if this concept of neighbor isn't more than sometimes we think it is. I wonder if Jesus really meant here was treat your neighbor as yourself or as though he or she really were you, like that's you. That each one of us is a part of the next person, no matter where they're at in the world, they're a part of us. That in reality, all of humanity is interconnected, deeply interconnected. Muslims, Christians, Buddhists, Nazarenes, Baptists, Pentecostals, all of us interconnected, deeply interconnected. That what is good in your life and in my life lifts up me and you but it also lifts up the other person. And when any one of us is hurt or taken advantage of, that it hurts and takes advantage of all of us because we are all a part of the human race. We belong together. And Jesus was saying, that person is you. You don't just ignore you. When your arm is broken, do you just go, oh, well, too bad? 
Or do you rush to the hospital to fix what hurts? For sure, Jesus was connecting the two things here. If you're going to have, a me if you're going to have meaning in life, if life is going to have any kind of meaning, something that will last forever, then you have to love God. That, that's just an absolute. I, I don't know anybody who does not love God that is going to leave life and have meaning and purpose in their lives. And if you're going to truly love God, then you're going to have to show that by loving others. There is no other way to say, I love God, than by loving other people. In fact, you cannot really love God if you don't show love to others, and you can't really love others unless you love God. And I think that's a fair statement and one that you can take a look at later. As I said earlier last week, we established that life has no meaning outside of our relationship with God, and that relationship is the only thing that's going to survive the test of time. When it's all said and done, the only thing that's going to matter is going to be our relationship with God. And that's why we ask for our loved ones and people that care about us and that we care about to be with us when we die because we've shown our love for God and we've experienced our love of God through those people and we want them with us because they're the only thing that has given our life meaning. That relationship with God is not a phrase we use. It's not just a concept. It is to be lived out as the reality of your life. If you really say, I love Jesus, I love God, I want to do what God wants, then that should be lived out as a reality in your life every moment of every day. It's not something you can do when you come in here. We don't come here today to worship, and then we're going to leave and go do something else. Worship is what we do all day long. Loving other people is our worship. And it's only when we begin to love others that this can be lived out. In reality, Jesus didn't stop there with this idea of loving others as though it was actually you that you're loving. Jesus understood that a life focused on accumulating and possessing would be meaningless. And he's trying to save us from ourselves here. So in John chapter 13, if you look at this, Jesus takes two commands and he wraps them together and gives one command that sums up all the laws and all the commands. And by the way, in John chapter 15, he repeats it. So it must have been important Jesus doesn't usually repeat things that he doesn't care about. He repeats stuff that is very important. And he says this to them, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so this command ties together loving God and our neighbors and declares that you cannot do one without the other. It was the night of the Passover that this is written and spoken. And Jesus is meeting in the upper room with the 12 and he is, uh, Judas has just slipped out to go and do the deed that he has to do to betray Jesus. And Jesus is speaking and he's, he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them this. He says, I have a new command for you. And now they're all ears because they want everything that Jesus has for them. He says, I'm going to step up the game a little bit over what we've been talking about. And this is where he says this, love each other as I've loved you. It's one thing to love someone like myself as if they were me. That's pretty big. I mean, like I said, if my arm's broken, I'm rushing to the hospital. And that means if I love you, if you're broken, if something happens in your life, I rush to your aid. We're going to take care of you. But I'm stepping up the game here, he says. See, it's even more incredible to show love to someone to the depths that Jesus showed love for me. I don't think we understand this and how deep this goes. See, this is the command. The command supersedes all the others. It covers up all the others. Love others as I have loved you. 
Jesus left heaven for me. You understand that? The depth of love that Jesus went to, he left heaven for me. He suffered at the hands of the creation for me. Jesus took the lashes that night for me because he loved me. He went all the way for me. He was stripped naked for me. He stood in front of his father and the world with my humiliating sins upon him so I didn't have to do that. Stop and think that through for a moment. Let that sink in. Jesus hung on a cross for me. He died for me. He went to a grave for me. That's how he loved me. And what he's telling his disciples here is this. This is how you show your love for me. And this is the only thing that can give your life meaning. You have to, eat, you have to love each other like I loved you. You have to lay your life down for them. What does that mean? You know, we say that and then we go, well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. If, if I ever have a chance, I'll... let me tell you what it means to lay your life down for someone. It means you have to actually take time to go talk to them. I mean, seriously, it's not just going to church and sitting here and saying, well, I, you know, I, I talked to the three I like, the rest of them I don't care about. How about getting to know each other again? How about getting to know your neighbors next door? How about the checkout girl at Meyer, who maybe looks a little goofy to you? And you're going, well, you know. But when you get to talking to her, you find out she has two children and she's trying to do it all alone. And she wants to go to school. And she's hurting. You know? You need to talk to them. That's how you lay your life down. You talk to somebody. Or, or maybe you listen to them. You know, we like to do the talking. We're not so bad about that. But how about this? You take somebody out and you listen. Tell me your story. And you listen. And you weep with them. And you cry with them. And you love them. That's laying your life down for them. And you buy them lunch. And you cry with them. And you may have to bear their sins because they begin to tell you all the things that they've done in their life and all the things that are wrong and all the struggles that they've had. And you begin to go, wow. And you pick their sins up with you and you begin to bear them in prayer and in love. And instead of criticism and judgment, we love them and we go, okay, let's, let's bear your sins with you. Let's help you. You have to love them just as I have loved you, Jesus said, just like I loved you. Even if they're Democrats, he said. It's in the Bible. It's, it's right in there. And, and even if they're Republicans. And I, I read this. Even if they're from Mexico. I'm telling you something. We need to listen. And even if they're Canadian. And even if they support Donald Trump. I'm not very political. I really am not. Even if they support Donald Trump, or if they're gay, even if the ones, and this, this is mine, this is what I'm struggling with, even if they're the ones who have hurt you badly, it's the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to love somebody that's hurt me. I want to just go punch them in the face. I mean, that's just me. You know, I want to go like, rain on their parade, you know, let the air out of their tires, something. But Jesus said, no, you got to love them too. And even if 
They are those who don't deserve it. Even the drug addicted, even the special needs person, all of them, you love them just as I have loved you. Every person. Every person. I, I've been listening to a book. I, I, I took Ian's advice and learned to listen to books instead of read them. It helps. You do it while you're driving. It's hard to read when you're driving, so you can listen and it works. And so I've been listening to a guy named Bob Goff. Some of you have heard of him. And he, he's got a book out now. It's called uh, Everyone Always. It's talking about who you love. Everyone Always. That's how he puts it. And, you know, he, he's talking about that. Times that he, uh, especially one, a little Mexican guy that was at the, a little guy from Mexico that was at the, he's a TSA agent at the airport in San Diego where he flies in and out of. And it's the coolest story. And he said, I just decided I ought to get to know him. I ought to love him. So he starts talking to him three minutes. And he's in and out of there all the time. So after a while, they build a relationship three minutes at a time. Makes this guy his friend. He ends up eating dinner with him, spending Christmas with him. I mean, it's crazy, but he just went out. Bob Goff could probably have, you know, bought a thousand of that kind of people with the money that he has. Instead, he just gave himself away and loved this guy and others. He says that making friends isn't near as hard as we're making it out to be. It's just going up and asking somebody, how you doing? You have some time? You want to talk? You know, how long has it been since you looked at somebody and thought, you know, maybe they need a friend? The, the greeter at Walmart who probably, you know, feels pretty alone even though they're in the middle of a crowd. You just love them. They're your neighbors. You do, th you do for them whatever it takes, just like I did for you. That's how you love me. You just do for them whatever it takes. It's the only way you can prove your love for me. And if you ever want to show me how much you love me, this is God speaking, you do for my people, my kids, what needs to be done. I, I thought about that, you know, right now. If you guys want to know, how do we show love to Pastor Mark? You love my kids. You love my grandkids. You love my wife how you do it because that's the meaningful stuff when you love my kids you love me and that's going to last forever god said you love me best by loving my kids you love god by loving his kids his good ones and his bad ones and it gives your life purpose and meaning as you show him love by loving his children especially the ones in places where no one sees you loving them like children's church see because we forget that people are actually doing things while we're in here, in the nursery, in the children's church, or where no one notices you loving that person in the nursing home. No one's ever going to give you a certificate and say, oh, they were loving someone at a nursing home. In places and at times where you just love them because you love him. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing with this? Do you love God enough to love his kids as he has loved you, as Jesus loved you? Jesus said this to his followers right after they had eaten the Lord's Supper. They had eaten together and they had declared their love for Jesus and Jesus, his love for them. And then Jesus tells them, look, love looks like what I'm about to do. When I go to a cross and die, that's what love looks like. What I'm asking you to do is to give up your life for me. It doesn't mean that you're going to die on a cross. It just means that you're going to Say, here's what I like to do. I, it would be easier to do this, but God, 
wants me to do this. So I will love people. Really, the question is this. Do you love him enough to love others as he's loved you? Do you love him enough to love others as he has loved you? Can you join him in loving the people of the world the way he does? We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and when we do this, the question I want you to consider as you do this is simply this. Do you love God? And do you love him enough to love others as he has loved you? Can you join him in loving the people of the world the way he does? That that I've just said. I want you to consider that and think that through. Music's going to play here, and we're going to come forward here in just a moment, and we're going to receive the uh, communion together, and Ian's going to come up here and help me do this. And we're going to invite you to just come up the middle aisle here, if you could, and, and just uh, uh, come up and let the ones in the middle go first, and then the sides can come over, and that way we don't just run into each other. It won't take very long. And while you're in your seats, pray. Ask God, Help me to love people. Because right now, there may be someone in your life, you're going, well, I can love them, but I can't love them. But see, Jesus also said, love your enemies. And he meant it. Love your enemies. It's hard. It's real hard. And I'm a fellow struggler with this. But as we take the communion together, I want you to remember, Jesus gave his life for you. And his command is, love others as I have loved you. So we're going to start this in just a minute. On the night of his passion, the night that he of Passover, Jesus went with his disciples to the upper room and he broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He's talking about a time when he would hang on the cross. He's talking about a time when he would die for them. They didn't understand it then. They do now. Then he took the cup and he passed around. This is my blood. What's given to you for the forgiveness of your sin, the most loving act that he could do, forgive our sins so that we could be with him forever. Amen? So today, that's what we're going to do. Let me pray and then come. Father, we thank you right now for this moment that we are about to experience as we take the body and the blood of Christ and as we remember that you loved us and you gave your life for us. May we give our lives for others. May we love others as you have loved us. Even the ones that are difficult to love, even our enemies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please come. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We praise your name today. We worship you. We recognize that what you did for us is so amazing and so beyond us. And today, Lord, we would ask that you would help us as we go out from here to begin to see the world not as those who <clears throat> are different than us, <clears throat> but as our brothers and sisters, those united to us, as our neighbors, as you have shown us, and Lord, that we would begin to love them as you have loved us. Whatever it takes. That becomes our motto. Whatever it takes, we'll do it to love others as you've loved us. Thank you, Lord, for what you do and for what you've done. As we leave this place, we go in your presence with your spirit upon us. We go in the power of your name. Lord, have your 
way in our lives each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless.